This is the Master Cinema Cast. My name is Tom Jennings. And I'm Joachim Thies. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat. But before we get on with that, Joachim, what have we got in the world of Master Cinema? Master of Cinema, they have announced that they have acquired F.W. Murnau's legendary silent cinema horror classic, the Nosferatu film, which has been newly restored by a German uh, foundation. So uh, it will be released in cinemas, actually, on the uh, 25th of October this year, just in time for Halloween, and then Blu-ray and DVD releases will follow soon. But I'm not sure if that will come this year or early next year, but yeah. No, definitely. I think um, I can safely say that one is going to be a day one purchase. Um, have you? I mean, have you seen Nosferatu before? I have. Yeah, it's uh, sort of the film that you have to see when you're in film school. Yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the German expressionist kind of go to guy. I'm interested as well. Have you seen the Werner Herzog remake of that? No, I have. You yeah, uh, with um... Klaus Kinski. Oh. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, no, uh, sorry, I've seen the one with um, Willem Dafoe. Uh, oh, didn't know Werner Herzog make that one as well. Uh, no, there's the, there's he did a remake, and then there's um, what's the? It's, it's not a remake, the William Dafoe one. It's about the making of the film. Oh, yeah. It's actually a, a a vampire in it. No, that's a class film as well. What's that film called? Well, I can't even remember now. Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah, uh, that's from two thousand. Yeah, no, I remember seeing that at the cinema and being quite kind of taken with it, so it might be kind of worth uh, checking that out. But yeah, they do have a look at the uh, the Werner Herzog one. Have we got anything else kind of going on? Yeah, uh, Bleeding Cool, they announced like uh, a half an hour before we went into recording that uh, Sight and Sound, they have a ad in their new um, new issue, which announces uh, August and September releases for Mass of Cinema. And Mass of Cinema, they have not announced officially their releases yet, but it seems that uh, for the August releases, we will be getting Tarnished Angels, a Douglas Sirk film from 1957, as well as uh, Simon Killer and Le Notte, which we have already known about. And then in September, we will be getting uh, Federica Fellini's Il Bidone from 1955, uh, Van Gogh from Maurice Piala from 1991, and another Douglas Sirk film, uh, A Time to Love and A Time to Die from 1958. Yeah, and a time to love and a time to die is one of the upgrades I've been especially looking forward to because I really, really enjoyed that film. Um, have you have you seen that before? I have not. Douglas Sirk is one of those that I really want to get into. I know we, I love his Technicolor. Like I've seen uh, still images from those, and they look uh, fabulous. Yeah, I, I really think it's a film which, when I watched it on DVD, um, I, I remember thinking, you know, this film will look incredible. And watch it. Hopefully, it will look incredible on Blu-ray. And um, yeah, it was a real. It was kind of one of those Sunday afternoon jobs where I just kind of sat down and wanted to watch, you know, some a bit sort of melodramatic. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty captivating piece. And I was, uh, yeah, really, really excited that that one is going to be going to be coming out. Mm. Um, is there anything else that's kind of we've got to report on? No, that's pretty much it. Okay, so on today's episode, we're going to be looking at the 1944 film. Uh, Lifeboat by Alfred Hitchcock. How am I doing, Willie? Fine, Red. Fine. You're a born accomplice. <laughs> you didn't make a single mistake. Hardly. Yeah, I know what you mean right in here. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Rick, you're a born accompanist. We're all born accompanists. <laughs> How'd I do, Willie? 
<laughs> what are you laughing at, you silly goon? That's one for the book. Your book. Only when you write it, they won't believe it. Our enemy, our prisoner of war. Now we're his prisoners, and he's Gauleiter of the boat. Singing German lullabies to us while he rows us to his supply ship. And a concentration camp. <laughs> tell him, Willie, tell him how funny it is. That isn't funny. It's logical. I guess uh, before we kind of talk about the film in general, what's your kind of thoughts on Alfred Hitchcock? Are you kind of consider yourself kind of like a, a, a massive fan, or has he been one of those people you kind of duck in and out of? Uh, the latter, I would say, um, because I am a fan of the post nineteen fifties. Basically, many of those films I find to be incredibly fascinating, but the ones before that. I find them interesting, but I, I can't really get into them as much as uh, those latter works, those big, gigantic uh, thriller mysteries. And uh, I just think I would come to appreciate him even more if I would only sit down and go through more of his filmography. Uh, I feel like um, it's it's in the details, as we will be discussing in this film, that many of the details in the minutiae of his film is where he really shines. So um, he's a, a respected man, but I, I wouldn't say I'm a massive fan. Yeah, it was, it was weird because, I mean, I, I remember uh, not being a particularly huge fan of Alfred Hitchcock. And when I was at university, I was given the opportunity to do a module on Alfred Hitchcock. And it, it was interesting because I, I remember we had to kind of say on the, on the first lesson, you know, why we'd taken this, 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 this course. And I, I said, well, actually, it's because I don't really like Alfred Hitchcock films. And I want to kind of find out why it is I have those kind of feelings towards them. And uh, over the kind of course of this 12 weeks, this, this module went on for, I came to really enjoy his films and I, mm. I developed a, a, a massive appreciation of them. But the kind of the, the strangest thing for me is, I, I did an episode last year on the 24 Frames cast about the sight and sound top 10 films of all time poll, of which um, uh, Vertigo had been, by, by the critics, I had decided it was the best film ever made. And I went back to Vertigo and um, I remember thinking, God, this film is... It, 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 I could not see why people think it's the, you know, the best film ever made. It, <laughs> it, it just seemed really odd to me. I, I thought it was a, a slightly ridiculous story. And it, it, it's the strange thing about Alfred Hitchcock is that he has this critical adulation, um, and it, it, he makes these kind of incredibly populist films. But it, it's also kind of like you know the real hardcore, I suppose, kind of academic critics still kind of rate him as being one of the you know, well, what we, if not the greatest director of all time. And it, it's always seemed quite strange to me that but um, I feel like if. The more I watch Hitchcock, the more I actually do love him, as happened to you. And it's just something about when you revisit his films, you can always catch more and more and more. And you see that is his joy for cinema. And it, like he loves playing these little games throughout the films that he makes. And it feels like it's a love letter to film. And uh, the more you understand his vision, the more you come to appreciate his films. And out of interest, have you watched the the film Hitchcock that came out with um, Helen Mirren and Anthony Hopkins? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. What well, What were your thoughts um, on that? I'm I wasn't a big fan of that one. I I haven't seen the the other one as well. I think there were two. The other one was called The Blonde or something. Yeah. Um, but um, I wasn't a fan of neither of those two. But I haven't read the book though. So. Yeah, I was. Um, 
it's a, a, a rare film that one where I saw the trailer and literally I have never in my life been so off put from seeing a film as I was by that trailer and I think it was because it, it was Alfred Hitchcock when they kind of they it's that kind of caricature performance that people go into and they kind of put these kind of cadences on the voices and I, it just really on no level at all does it appeal to me and it's i probably catch it when it comes on cable or something like that mm. but it seemed a bit it seemed just a quite a strange I, I i couldn't work out who it was aimed for that film really i was wondering you know when, when you watched it i mean is it funny is it scary i mean what, what kind of genre does it come into i think it falls into the drama category uh as well as some comedic points but i don't think they knew themselves what type of film they were making it seemed like it could have been a lot more uh, aimed at the cinephiles yeah. more than the general audience. It's not the type of film that general audience will seek out no matter what. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, th- th- let's kind of crack on with Lifeboat because I certainly kind of speaking for myself here, I, I, I'm, I was very, very taken with this film and it's uh, a really kind of quite simple story. The film begins and um, we're in a lifeboat um, that's from a ship that's just been sunk. It's part of one of the Atlantic convoys. We kind of come over the boat and we see a woman sitting in there called Connie Porter and she kind of takes on a few more survivors and we kind of have, a, I suppose, a rough kind of collection of individuals we have kind of a black guy who is a servant we have um, one of the engine room people we have a refugee with her child and a few other um, archetypal characters and of course we have a slightly mysterious character who may or may not be a survivor from one of the u-boats and i guess by sort of going into this film i had heard of lifeboat and I had never actually seen it before Masters of Cinema had actually released it. And the first time I watched it, I was pleasantly surprised, although I wouldn't say I was too into it. And then I watched it again as part of the research for this episode. And I can safely say I kind of fell in love with it. What were your kind of like initial thoughts on it? The first time I watched it was when it came out. Uh, I bought the Blu-ray and uh, I had the same experience where I, I liked it a lot but I didn't see the adulation. And I think some critics uh, praise it as one of the best Hitchcock films. And I I couldn't see that viewpoint. But as I was watching it more and more, I tended to find more of these these minutiae details that I was talking about uh, previously, that he seems to make a cohesive film that is a a thing that is lacking in modern cinema, (laughs) to say the least. And I, I just, I felt like I was in the hands of a master, even though there are types or there are parts of the story that I'm I'm not particularly keen on, but the, the overall feeling of the film is something that grabbed me. Yeah, I mean, I am a sucker for films of this period and especially the kind of the wartime propaganda film. And I, I, I've seen enough of them really to know the kind of the good from the bad and they range from the absolutely sublime in my opinion to films like in which we serve um the david lean and noel cowd film um the 49th parallel the power and Preskerga film um went the way day well which i talked about in the 24 frames casting film like the life and death of colonel blimp and when they're, when they're bad these types of films they are they're almost laughable really but sometimes there's there's a, a, a glut of them and i would consider lifeboat to be one of those that it's yes it's propagandic in tone i suppose 
But I, I also think it, in its own right, it stands up as a fairly kind of deep and um, involving film. It doesn't... I, I think it was the subtlety of it, really. I think... Well, sorry, not so much the subtlety of it, but the sophistication of it that mm. actually kind of grabbed me. Because a film like In Which We Serve... Um, it, it doesn't shy away from the fact that Britain is at war. And I mean, for anyone who's ever seen that, you, know, you have kind of people being killed in the Blitz. You have the, the ship, the, the film set on, um, gets sunk. You, know, you have kind of sailors on board who kind of run away from their duties out of fear. And it's, 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 it doesn't kind of patronise its audience. And I felt that Lifeboat kind of is quite similar in that respect. I don't think this film shies away from kind of exploring kind of the darker side of the war. No, definitely. And I, I was kind of uh, puzzled by the the reaction to the film because uh, some of the contemporary critics they saw it as denigrating the American and British characters while it was glorifying the German character and I really can't see that as uh, that owl because I think he comes off as quite despicable and conniving but he's still a nuanced character and that is something I wouldn't criticize it for but praise it for and it, like uh, John Steinbeck, the one that wrote the script for the film, he wanted his name to uh, come off it because he felt like he felt like this was an unpatriotic film. I mean, yeah, yeah. This is one of the things. I mean, the the, the German character is called Willie, isn't he? Played by uh, Walter Slezak, and um, he, you know, he isn't this kind of drooling evil Nazi, is he? He's. No. I mean, he's got a game plan, obviously, and it, it's funny because. You sort of, especially in Hitchcock films, I mean, I find myself in a lot of them, you do tend to warm to the baddies. And um, it's, you kind of delight in their kind of conniving and their uh, plotting, as it were. And really, I mean, I quite enjoyed him, to be honest with you. I, I, it was... It was it was quite strange that you know to ha I can see why perhaps some people might have kind of thought oh well, you know he should have a swastika on his arm and be kind of you know hell Hitlering every five minutes but it, it, it's not that film I think Lifeboat and it's one of the reasons why it stands up today I think it, it hasn't been kind of aged with this kind of crude stereotyping I just wanted to talk as well you know, about the kind of the characters we have on board more because I think obviously the one we need to kind of really dive into is, is Constance Porter um, played mm. by Tallulah Bankhead because it's it's a ridiculous character, isn't it, really? <laughs> I mean, that opening where we kind of go across, you know, all this oil and fire, and then we just have this woman sat there absolutely pristine in the boat. And this is, you know, I think it's one of the things that we, we, we always find about Hitchcock is that he, he's totally aware of the stupidity of some of his films. Mm. And I think that's what makes them such fun. Yeah, definitely. And it, you can see uh, that she's this incredibly strange heroine for the film like this older cynical and unattached woman it feels like a very modern woman that he's portraying in there with like a very egotistical she's not this mother nurture kind of character she's very casual about sex and has this raspy like smoking bourbon voice but uh, i never felt that she was over the top ridiculous but you can definitely see that this is a uh, bigger than life character and uh he treats her as such uh, many times yeah yeah and i i think you touched on the fact that you know she's very much the kind of the, the most kind of i suppose she's a bit of a sexual predator isn't she in mm. a way i mean she it's it's an interesting role reversal i think to have a female character like that it's and a lot, you know, a lot of these films you know a lot of those war films that i mentioned um kind of women in those they are sort of reduced to these kind of um 
you know, ever so meek and mild ladies who sit at home. Like the nurse, the Alice character. Yeah, and I mean, we'll get to that in a bit, but it's a a fantastic performance as well Mm. by Tallulah Bankhead. It's completely kind of captivating, and um, I've never never seen her in anything else other than this. I I understand she had a very long career, but um, this is my sort of only film I've ever seen her in, and it kind of really inspired me, I think, to go out and kind of check out a few more of them because she was she was something of a hollywood icon wasn't she yeah i i'd never seen her either but uh from what i've read uh she was a big star in the uh 30s and 40s or uh maybe a bit earlier then she had kind of a tip and then uh hitch uh fetched her up again yeah and a, a slight kind of anecdote about the film as well apparently she didn't quite like wearing underwear and um it caused a few issues on set and it was <laughs> apparently um raised to hitchcock that um apparently a lot of the crew could actually see a little bit more than they um thought and uh, he was asked what he wants to do about the problem and he said he didn't he wasn't sure if it was a hair and makeup issue or a costume <laughs> department needed to get involved and i can i can imagine the dirty old sod making that <laughs> comment as well but um yeah i mean the other kind of we, we have this boat and it is really it's yeah, it's, it's the most archetypal boat on planet Earth, isn't it, really? Because you have kind of the top end of the social scale and the lower end of the social skill, um, social scale, sorry. And do you think Hitchcock's trying to make a kind of a massive sweeping statement about kind of society? Or do you think it's just more of a, to, to make the film more accessible for the viewers? No, I think it's an inescapable fact that he's trying to portray different classes of society coming together. And if the Allies don't pull it together, the single-minded Germans may win the war. And I think that is his thought of having all these different characters together. Yeah, but we we're kind of like um, the Connie Porter character. She's our viewpoint throughout the film, but the other characters they sort of serve as allies of the American. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I when I wrote my in in my uh, in my notes about the film, I was like, he he couldn't have really picked more sort of blatantly obvious kind of statements almost as characters. And I just want to kind of dive into them a little bit because we have um, obviously um, Joe on board. I think he's, he's it was his previous job. Is he like a butler or something like that, or he's kind of uh, yeah, sort of a servant or something. Yeah, I think, a, a yeah. servant, and he's kind of on this boat and. It, it was kind of strange because whilst I was watching it, I was kind of acutely aware, really, that the the Joe character, it's it, it kind of troubled me a little bit, to be honest with you, the sort of the presentation of him, because he's the one, he, he, you know, he just happens to have the skills of stealing, doesn't he? Mm, very much a, like, a stock comedic uh, negro that you put in these films and if you watch the uh, earlier Hitchcock films you can see that many of those are riddled with some dubious handling of uh, people of colour yeah and it, it, that to me I think was one of the kind of the the, the, the sticking points really um, in my I, and I only have to kind of put kind of contextualise these types of things but it was a bit sort of like Come on, you know it's it, hmm. it, even for them. Now, it, it seemed I don't know. It's, it's a bit too on the nose, I think, for uh, to make it kind of completely enjoyable. But the other thing I think this film suffers from massively is the injection of kind of these love stories as well, because there's a kind of there's a couple going on, isn't there? 
which one? The Alice, uh, do you feel? Yeah. Or the uh, the other, Connie Porter and uh, the both other characters? Of, so, yeah, uh, Both of them, I, I think, are completely and utterly unnecessary. I feel like they sort of comment on the fact that alliances are being made slowly as the film goes on, but they do serve as kind of fluff and you they are if you were to t- to like take extreme extreme prejudice in the editing you could get rid of them but i didn't have that extreme uh, reaction that um i feel like this was entirely unnecessary i i i find a lot of these films that the characters suddenly they fall in love in a matter of days mm. Yeah. And I, I I just find that it's like I think we're talking in the episode with um David about Flaming Wisdom because I mentioned Casablanca mm. and one of the things that about that film that never, has never ever rung true for me is the the romance between Rick and El- and Elsa I just don't see where these I don't I don't I don't see other than the fact that they kind of act like they were in love I don't see the kind of the great romance and that is a, a I find that kind of injection of melodrama into this film it just never rang true for me at all mm. the way they were behaving I felt it was very much a kind of a screenwriting device you know it was, it was just there basically for plot and doesn't really serve much else but I feel like every time there is a character scene uh there is always some sort of change or information that is revealed at the end of it or some sort of dynamism that keeps it keeps the film going and it keeps the flow going so uh it's not like a life of pi where you they kind of dwell on the fact that the boat is on wide open water and stuff like that this is more um intense um character drama and i think that hitch wanted to make that sort of he wasn't interested in the um in the long process of being uh, lost at sea but more in the intrigue and he had to fill that with some character dramas yeah and that, i suppose it's, it's not a man versus elements film is no. it this one i mean it looks like the most they, they couldn't have been sunk in a more placid and <laughs> sort of you know kind of nicer weather part of the atlantic i mean we do have a little bit of kind of you know the, the i suppose the kind of the trauma of being out there but for the most part like you say, it's it's very. It feels like a play almost in many mm. respects. Yeah, it's all shot on one set, and there's no like, there's only cutting. There's no panning or tracking the camera, but it cuts from character to character and faster pace. So it feels very much like a play. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, this is a good enough time to mention it as well. I did. You, I never ever felt kind of taken out by the fact that the film's clearly being shot in a set. I I never sort of it. It didn't bother me that it's blatantly apparent that it is and that's a good thing i think when you when you're watching a film and you don't sort of the artifice doesn't tend to bother you and knowing what i know about hitchcock he wasn't really a lot of people say oh there's loads of shots in his film that look completely fake well he was completely aware of that and although i I, i don't think he's trying to kind of be so blatantly kind of um fake here i i it didn't bother me that i knew full well that it was just a boat in a set how did you kind of take it when you were watching it no it has that sort of uh, hitchcock like it has that feel to uh, to the background that it's sort of um it's like a a, a familiar feeling with his uh, background I, I can't really explain it but I, I do recognize that he sort of acknowledges that this is fake, but we're, we're just going to play along. And you, you get that feeling when you watch it. And in reality, I mean, it's like, well, what's he meant to do? You know, yeah. you, you can't... The, the, the you can't go in open water. Yeah, and, that, and I did read that they, they were going to try and film some of it out at sea. Um, I think um, 
off the coast of California or somewhere like that and it just simply wasn't practical and uh, yeah you, you could have a nightmare with lighting the cameras were huge anyway and you're gonna have kind of things going on in the background and it, you could see it being a complete nightmare and it, it's very much I, I mean, we will talk about in a bit you know the sort of the the craft of Hitchcock is that he's, he's someone who likes to be in complete control over the environments in which he films and I think it's to the film's um, definitely benefit that he did decide to go for just have it having it filmed in sets basically and um, yeah it, it doesn't it's never taken out for me I I, don't, I do know someone who watched it and said they they found it to be just completely ridiculous and couldn't get into it because of the artifice but I think you have to sort of I think when the performances anyway are that good and the kind of the characters are kind of quite interesting soon the, the art of it just completely went for me yeah not only that but he he excels in like showing showing the boat in many different angles so he's constantly mixing up the different shots between close-up and two shots and three shots and group shots and it's interesting that uh, the lifeboat is never shown in its entirety so we're never quite sure how big it actually is even though we create a, like a mental representation of it in our minds but you you kind of you never get the full picture of it, and that's I find that quite quite interesting. Yeah, and it, it's I get, I get, it's you know, it's good direction, isn't it? Mm. Really, when when you do that, and like you said, I mean, this is a, a very very a, a, as a dramatic space, it's incredibly small, and yeah. he manages to conjure a story which I, I don't think it's it's necessarily a gripping film, but it's certainly a compelling one. Mm. And to do it in that type of environment, it's, you know, obviously we start talking about Hitchcock as being the, you know, the genius that he is, but that is ridiculously impressive filmmaking, yeah. I think, to, to be able to pull that off. I mean, this is like, I, mean, I think you, you said it in your notes, it's one of the first kind of limited setting films that Hitchcock did. And in my experience of him, I, I, I consider it to be his best. That may be, that may be I, I haven't seen uh, enough of his work to really comment on that, but yeah. Now, originally as well, um, it's you know it's in black and white this film, and it was originally going to be in Technicolor, and I think this is going to feed into what we were saying about Artifice because I think this film wouldn't work in Technicolor. I don't, I I can see it being yeah the more artificial elements of it kind of sticking out like a sore thumb really. Mm. Yeah, I think that was the decision that he made that it was a conscious decision to not do it in color because of the background and just the complete environment that they're in. It it wouldn't. I feel it would be a lot more difficult to pull it off if it had been in colour. And the black and white is sort of like, I'm not sure that he had this intention, but it feeds into the like black and white characters and just the, uh, that this is uh, more than just black and white. This is grey and nuanced and uh, that sort of theme of the film. Yeah, I think it is. It, it, it certainly, because it's not a, as I say, it's not the kind of the crude type of propaganda film that you might be used to. Hmm. It, it doesn't sort of. It does suggest that the heroes are deeply flawed, and as we'll talk about later, they are capable of doing some pretty barbaric things themselves. But I, as well, I find um, the the black and white cinematography. I think it has a real kind of grittiness to it as well, because it's quite a violent film in many respects too, isn't it? Yeah, there's. There's quite a lot, of, like uh, the opening scene with the the mother and the baby, and the way she's she's lost her baby, but she she can't really process it in her mind, and it's sort of it's violence without really showing it to us. But 
we still we we get the we get the turmoil that they're in and also the uh the character that has uh, broken his leg and they have operations scene on the boat and it really shows the 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 struggle that they're going through yeah yeah and i'm i'm always a big fan of when you're going to do gore and violence and horrible things to do it off screen mm. I, it's infinitely it's always more terrifying to me and you, you we've seen it gore can only go so far i think before yeah. again you're completely aware of the fact that it's just totally fake and you know, obviously they had the the senses to contend with back then more so than they do now but that that's another thing i like about hitchcock as well when you know the amputation scene we just see the reaction Mm. Yeah, you know, in the faces, and you can feel the pain, and it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a quite brilliant kind of stylistic choice that he goes for, and it, it certainly works. It works, but I was kind of thinking that they could perhaps wait. The storm is over. Uh, well, the other one as well. I've never worked out why, in these instances, I'm sure drinking is the worst thing you can possibly do. That may be. Gonna, it's just going to thin the blood, isn't it? it yeah. You, and they always do it. Then they always like, oh, just you. Know, we haven't got an anaesthetic, but drink this bottle of whiskey. That sort everything <laughs> out. And no, it's always struck me as being slightly ridiculous. But no, I said, yeah, there was a, there was a little bit of bad weather. But I mean, you know, I think it's kind of the mise en scene of the scene. Yeah, now. it's it. It adds a bit more tension, I suppose. And yeah. uh, it, it was the one day, I suppose, the, their, their journey anyway from being sunk. It was such blazingly nice sunshine all day. They're going to about to have one bad day, I suppose, being out there in the Atlantic. Because hmm. that's the other thing I found completely a little bit ridiculous was the fact that I'm pretty certain the Atlantic is freezing cold. And <laughs> they're, they're kind of swanning around like they're on holiday almost, aren't they? Kind of. Yeah. But. Seems like there's this island that they're on, but it's floating. So yeah, it's it's and, it, and there doesn't seem to be much kind of shortage of water or food or sort of the other essential elements to life. But no, the way they the way that time is passing, it's quite like you can't really follow it in terms of how long they're they've been on the boat. You can only see that they get more dishevelled and the the physical appearance gets degraded after uh, after a while, and they get like beards and tired faces, but. You're not really sure, like the logistics of it all. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it, it's very vague. I mm. think is and, and deliberately so. I I don't think that there's no, really we're not meant kind of... to think about it at all. Yeah, I, I, I it's more about what's going on the on the boat. But I want to talk about you know, kind of the, the the devils in the detail with Hitchcock, as she was saying, kind of when we talk about thoughts on him in general, because. What I love about Hitchcock is how you he makes you privy to information before characters find out about it and it's it's always been a really kind of exciting one of the things i find really exciting about his films is that we know that this guy is a german and they're trying to kind of work it out and i remember you'd put in your notes you're talking about the sort of the, the close-ups that we get of just these little tiny snippets of information that give us clues as to what's going to go on in the film mm. yeah when when uh when i feel like the tension is like riding up you see that hitch is sort of He's starting to focus on like hands holding or like um, small details like the knife being opened or something that these little things that make you pay attention more. I feel if you kept it all in a uh, wide shot, you would be you would be more uh, trying to figure out the entirety of it. But uh, once he he sort of captures the emotion in one single element and i think that is a uh, something something of a genius of a hitchcock yeah yeah and it, it, i mean i i i found it especially when i was watching lifeboat again 
the fact that he just as a filmmaker he'll go for like a mid shot and then you suddenly get this it's almost quite jarring sometimes as well how he goes so close into an object or just something happening hmm. and he'll hold the shot long enough for you to you can't ignore it it's not just sort of being thrown in there for the fun of it you have to kind of really acknowledge and digest what you're seeing and it's one of the things that i've personally found so interesting about lifeboat was that it has these kind of little moments all the time going Mm. through it and again it's you you don't want to get into kind of the, the realm of bombast and um kind of Hitchcock worship. But like I said, I mean, I do watch a lot of these types of films, especially from this period. And sometimes you can barely tell. The, the director could be anyone. They really, and a lot of times they were just anyone, you know, especially with the kind of the Ealing films and um, some of the, the other British stuff that was coming out of time. You know, they were kind of directors for hire. And this doesn't feel like it's a film being made by some kind of studio hack. It, it, it is unmistakably an Alfred Hitchcock film. And... That's one of the reasons why I, I think it's so it's so interesting to look at this film in terms of its kind of setting and it's right. So I say it's kind of its contemporary release because this film was made in 1943 and the, the tide of the war hadn't turned. It was still very much you know this was pre D Day and there was a long way to go in it. And I want to kind of talk about the kind of the tone element of the film and really what it kind of teaches us or shows us about the difference between the Allies and the Nazis, well, I suppose the Germans. I mean, do you, do you think it's... It, I don't think it necessarily shows the Germans as being completely and utterly awful. I think they. it shows Germany as someone that looks after themselves. Uh, I'm not quite... We're never quite sure uh, before the end that this was a uh, a man trying to get back to his uh, to his crew but uh, i didn't feel that he was something other than an uh, a character that would want to hurt our characters or the characters that we're supposed to have sympathy with uh, i never felt that he was uh, one that uh, was a decent enough guy he always felt like he was the one that gave the order to bomb them and he was the one that was trying to mislead them into the uh, into the uh, waters of german uh, german soldiers so well the, 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 what i was going to say was it's to me it's i think the film's kind of the biggest statement comes with the, the one at the end who they kind of take him off the boat and he instantly tries to kill one of them and it, it suggests that these poor people are indoctrinated into being violent and evil and in that respect, it's up to us to kind of show them the fact that you know we're, we're a little bit better and you know, bless them. It's not, although it, it's kind of in their nature, that's just how they are. I, I don't think it's sort of, it could have been a lot harsher on them, I think, than yeah. it actually is. And I think this is one of the things that Hitchcock does, is that he allows the film to recognise that people are deeply flawed. And that, I think, carries over to the Allied, to the well, to the, I suppose, I, I call them the Allies, but the, the rest of the crew who they succumb to some of the worst sort of sides of humanity don't they you know they 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 themselves become a mob of killers yeah and it's perfectly understandable that a german soldier that is caught in a boat with loads of allies he would want to get back to his home crew he wouldn't want to go to prison for the allies so you can you can sort of understand the the mentality of a German soldier wanting to fend for his life once he's uh, taken on this boat. 
And it's sort of, it's interesting that I feel like Hitch is sort of critiquing America's like ambiguous uh, laid back stance to the war. It feels like he's saying that it took some time before before they actually got out there and did something. He's sort of um, using Connie as a metaphor for America. Because, do you feel yeah. that? Or? Well, kind of. I mean, I think the war came to America rather than America going to the war, didn't it? And but that's what happened in Lifebed as well. Yeah, and I know what you're saying. It's kind of, you know, Connie's this sort of, she's all, you know, she's this journalist and it's sort of all very kind of, it's all terribly exciting and it makes for good sales. Mm. But the reality is like we see she sat there in her kind of beautiful coat and got all these kind of fineries around her. And then she very, really, very quickly has to realise that this is a different world that we're living in. I, I don't know to what extent I would say, I think um, it's a massive critique of America. I, I think it's more of a kind of a critique. There's a big opposition to the war. Um, in America, people yeah. did not understand. Did not want to get involved, and um, I, can't, I can't remember the, the politician's name. Um, but there was you know, someone who almost became president who was adamant that America would never get involved. Didn't see it as as their problem. And I think what Lifeboat does is it brings home the reality of the situation. And we certainly have you know, the, the the woman and the baby dying, and it, it, it's. I, I think the very fact that they're on a boat that's been sunk, I think, is quite telling because you know the, the Atlantic convoys were—it um, re- was slaughter out there. It was mm. one of the most brutal, horrible aspects of the war, and and I think this film really sort of says that these horrible things are going on, and collectively we're going to have to be better than our enemy, which I think is the kind of the moral of the film. I, I think it does offer this sort of view that the allies are right and what we are doing and the way we are is the way that we should be yeah i feel like maybe it's my like modern eyes looking back at it and looking at it in terms of what happened during the war that it's sort of colored but i do feel that it is at least not the cut and dry propaganda film that some critics have made it out to be yeah, I mean that, that's exactly one of the reasons why I like it so mm. much, and I, I enjoy it because it it has the guts to suggest that there is a little bit of ambiguity in certain things, and you know, like I said, when the kind of the mob comes together and uh, kills, surely the the thing they should have done is you know, imprison him, wait for kind of law and order to kind of catch up with them, which you know, well basically wait until they get rescued, but instead they kind of take it upon themselves to kind of kill this guy and it's not a triumphant moment at all is it i i I do think we are meant to be shocked and disappointed at what they do yeah and i think that hitch plays on that with the uh final minutes of the of the film where the second german soldier comes up and well i I think we're supposed to be reacting in the way that um are they going to kill this character as well or how they're going to react to it so yeah yeah, and that's the, thing. the the moral of the story is that these people have learned mm. to, um, you know, control this kind of primeval urge to kill, which is something obviously which the Germans don't have. Yeah, and and this is the thing: you know, the Germans are perfectly. It's war; they're perfectly entitled to sink ships, and they're, they're, what they're doing isn't anything that the Allies weren't doing. No, no. Um, I, I remember it was quite interesting because I remember my, my, I asked my grandfather what why, you know we won the war and he said it was because we were more brutal than they were and 
in a way it's true and certainly i know sort of in the 60s there was a great deal of soul searching going on um especially in relation to the kind of the british bombing of german cities in which civilians were deliberately targeted and killed you know women and children were the were the targets and you know now that kind of appalls us hmm. and yet then it was that that was what needed to be done and i, I obviously I, I i think this film is brave enough to say that we're going to have to get our hands dirty to actually kind of get through this and yes we are i suppose morally superior to these people but it's certainly not going to be an easy ride and a lot of propaganda films do make that kind of point they sort of say you know as long as we kind of stiff up a lip and um you know we fight hard you know we, we will win whereas I, I i think lifeboat is a lot more sophisticated in the fact that it recognizes that even though we are kind of on the side of right we are also deeply flawed human beings who will if you know necessary re- revert to being these kind of like animalistic kind of characters how do you feel about the like we're talking about the thematic things about the ending but how do you feel it works like dramatically i i personally feel the ending feels quite rushed yeah um it, it's and i don't know to what extent that has to do with you know the sheer fact that there's obviously a um you know, time limit on it I, I don't know you know if that was commercial or anything like that but it does feel very rushed a lot of hitchcock films do feel a little bit rushed i have to say hmm. um I, I, it, I, it makes its point um but not very subtly yeah but... it sort of sums up what we already know but it feels like it's like a uh, a wrap-up or a button that feels too much like a button and it happens just too fast as you say yeah, it's a bit sort of like, yes, well, the point of that film was to show that we're better than them and we've done that now. So yeah, sort off, of a summary. Off, yeah, off we can go. And yeah, you know, I, I, I'll forgive it. I, I I think a film with this kind of scope, um, certainly the kind of limitations of the setting, if it went on any longer, I think it would begin to wane. And I, I, certainly, I, I even though it's quite a brisk sort of hour and a half, like they said, like this kind of like the, the injected sort of love scenes, I, well, sort of not love scenes, but the kind of the various romances that are going on i i think it would tire quite quickly um and as well i think the endings it, it's there to give a little bit of kind of drama and a bit of gunfights and you know a few explosions i think it's there for the audience really and I, it's it, it's a very convenient sort of wrap-up ending it doesn't yeah like i said it, i'm not quite sure what else what you would do with it but you know that's i guess that's just the, the fact that, it, that they're making a film which it's going to be this is going to be sandwiched between news reels and you know, b movies and things like that and you got to kind of you know, think about your audience but i mean what what were your kind of thoughts overall on that like you said it feels like it was too rushed and it's it's a uh, sort of a a handout to the audience of uh, the ones who hasn't gotten the theme yet but yeah if you didn't understand it here it is once again <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, there's a few other issues that I have in the film. Um, you were going to talk about um, the kind of uh, Bendix character. Yeah, or Bendix is the actor and uh, sorry, yeah, Gus sorry. is the Gus. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel like this is my least favourite character. He's so uh, way over the top and unbelievably... I feel like he's like simple-minded or maybe slightly retarded character that every time he opens his mouth... I get a slight cringe and I, I don't believe like I don't believe any woman is waiting for this man back at home yeah it's a bit and again it's that sort of injecting a bit of sadness and 
um yeah it's a false interjection of very melodrama. yeah and i know what you mean it doesn't it doesn't really work and it, it it's, it's again when we talk about something it's an hour and a half it, you could just lose those scenes completely and mm. you wouldn't really be kind of you know would be missing out and i think it would be a 45 minute film if we did cut out all these things yeah i mean I, again it's a i mean you can see the kind of the the commercial sense of you know sticking alfred hitchcock's name you want to film and by Christ, I'm pretty certain it's pretty. Uh, entertainment was in short supply, I would imagine, in those days. Mm. So, it, you know, it, you know, a contemporary audience might have kind of reacted to it a little bit better. But I guess the other sort of things I was I, I was thinking about the film in terms of kind of perhaps things that I wasn't quite uh, so keen on was I don't I don't really feel it has the the suspense element that a lot of Hitchcock films, I don't think it's a particularly, it's, it's not so much a kind of a thrilling film, is it? And, and I, I, I sort of thought, given the, the circumstances they're in, then it might be a bit more kind of white knuckle time. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem to, it, ha, it sort of lacks that. And I also feel that with these kind of injected sort of love scenes and things, it, it seems a bit meandering at times, I feel, Lifeboat, when yeah. it could be a lot more focused. Yeah, it's sort of, holds the suspense and the yeah like uh, the uh, excitement of the film or the things that we the things that we are really interested in they kind of put on on the side when we are dealing with these romantic or these uh, scenes where they are reminiscing back to characters uh, on the mainland and uh, yeah it's it's a valid criticism of the film but i mean as well i suppose it's time to really kind of go into the the the, the reception and the kind of the Steinbeck controversy um, that kind of surrounded this film. Um, I, I sort of have issues with the, the whole kind of Steinbeck thing. I mean, it, it was it, he, he sort of very publicly disassociated himself from this film, hmm. and I I, I I I don't really see what he's getting at. To be honest with you, I think that sounds it sounds more like a, someone having a paddy strop for the sake of having a paddy strop. Yeah, I think he he had a of a reaction once he. Uh, read what critics were saying I, I feel like that was the only reason he was like uh, covering his bases once he saw the critical reception of the film and how some critics were attacking it for uh, the um, the portrayal of the German character and the portrayal of uh, the Negro character it does it, it seems a bit so it just doesn't seem to be justified fully justified no. in my opinion I, I, it, it it's I I I said I I think you're completely right when these things happen. A lot of times, I think um, people a, a film comes out and then it gets panned, and I think it, it's you can be clever, can't you, and say, oh well, it's it's not what I ever envisaged, and I because I, I mean, surely he must have had something to do with the script. I can't believe that he wasn't completely aware of what they were going to shoot, and um, yeah, it's, it rings a little bit hollow to me, all that, and um, just a bit. <laughs> It's like Shia LaBeouf and every film he makes. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you saw the script for Transformers, Shia. <laughs> yeah, you knew what yeah. Michael Bay is going to do. So. Yeah, it, it's yeah. It, it, like I say, I think it's just someone, an artist, sort of having a kind of a bit of a whinge for the sake of having a whinge. But um, overall, I, I, I do really like Lifeboat. I, I think it's it's one of the better films of that era of that vein i suppose this sort of you know wartime propaganda film i think it does manage to be a little bit more sophisticated than a lot of the others i mean what are your kind of thoughts on it overall i think this is a 
very interesting Hitchcock film uh, in his filmography. And I feel like if you want a different type of Hitchcock film, this is uh, the one to get because there's more, I feel like there's more ambiguity uh, than most of his entertaining uh, films. And uh, if you're looking for something that will uh, surprise you a bit, uh, then you could check this one out. Yeah, certainly. I mean, when I was saying, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it's not the, t- yeah, like I say, it's not the typical, it, you know, North by Northwest. I, I, it's a, a, certainly an oddity in mm. there. And, um, it's, it, it the, perhaps one of the things I, I find about the film, it follows my all time favorite Hitchcock film is Shadow of a Doubt, which is what he made just before this. And to me, that's as, as, not, not only is it one of my favorite films of all time, I, I think it's head and shoulders, his best film. And when I was kind of going back to, to this, I, I watched Shadow of a Doubt, um, before kind of seeing this again and and it's to me it, it, perhaps it's, it's not the best film to watch straight after because i i was kind of thinking god that film is sublime and i i, I perhaps i was slightly more critically kind of <laughs> looking at this one but no i i certainly feel it's a it's a, a decent hitchcock film certainly one which um doesn't Perhaps doesn't get kind of talked about as much as a lot of the others, but I, I think it certainly deserves to be. Mm. And um, I mean, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed going back to it. Let's just talk a little bit more about the Blu-ray release as well, because um, I was really re- quite surprised with how good the transfer was on this one, because um, I, I think that might have something to do with the fact it's a Fox film, and I, and I, I know they do kind of invest quite a lot in their kind of restoration and things like that. But I, I was yeah pretty pretty surprised at just how good this looked on Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, it's not a lot of uh, there's uh, plenty of grain and not a lot of damage to the film and the sound is uh, decent as well so yeah nothing that it doesn't strike me as a particularly grand release but it's certainly worthy uh, of a blu-ray release yeah and it, i mean it's a it, the thing about it is as well you know a lot of it it's it's a gritty film as mm. well and I, I sort of i like that element of it and um yeah, and we talked about kind of the artifice, the fact that it was all kind of shot on stages and things. But I, sometimes Blu-ray makes that a lot worse, and I didn't notice that with this. I just no. thought I was. It just felt like a really. It felt like I was watching a thirty-five millimeter print mm. on my television. That's as, as really, I suppose, as high as a, a compliment as you can place. I mean, sound-wise as well, they've kind of gone for just a normal. Um, I think it's a two soundtrack on this one, um, but the you know, fidelity's there. It's um everyone's voice is very clear and i, I you know I, I really enjoyed it but it's got some good spe- um special features this one especially two short films that he made uh, bon voyage and another one which i can't pronounce but did you watch those at all uh i did watch it when i first received the blu-ray but i didn't have time to watch it uh, for this episode yeah i was quite impressed with those short films as well purely because uh, being the kind of the geek that i was i kind of quite enjoyed doing a bit of a kind of a hitchcock um uh war uh kind of night and I, I watched them both before i watched lifeboat and yeah i was quite impressed with it and i enjoyed as well the um it has a, a pretty decent standard uh making of yeah on it as well which i thought was quite interesting yeah, it's only like 20 minutes and that but it's still quite interesting and it had an excerpt from um, his conversation with francis francis Tro. i love hearing hitchcock speak as well yeah he has a he has such an interesting voice and i think that's one of the things that annoyed me about that hitchcock film was anthony hopkins just blatantly parroting that. <laughs> and it, it sort of annoyed me a little bit and it he has got a kind of he sort of sounds like he's taking the piss all the time, Alfred Hitchcock. He's his cadence is definitely um, particular. Yeah, and that, yeah, I, I really it, it was you know, a decent little uh, excerpt there. But overall, um, I think it's a fairly excellent package. I actually picked up the steel box edition of this. Did you? No, I have the plastic edition. Right. Well, no, definitely. Um, 
Yeah, you can actually pick up the Steelbox edition for £12 on Amazon. Hmm. And apparently that, they've only got 12 left in stock. So I would uh, get in there pretty quickly because, um, no, certainly, definitely um, an interesting one. And a good booklet as well, as yeah. ever. It was like 36 pages or something like that. And it was a thoroughly interesting read. But overall, yeah, you enjoy it. Would you say you're kind of a fan of life, but would you recommend this release? Yeah, I easily recommend it. And uh, easily a blind buy for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, even if you don't like it, even if you've only seen a couple of Alfred Hitchcock films, I think this is a pretty good package to pick up. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be it for this episode. Um, where can they find us online? You can find us at uh, mocast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter and uh, Facebook at moc underscore cast. And you can email us to tell us what you think of Lifeboat um, at mossofcinemacast at gmail.com. You can find me at uh, The Film Man on Twitter. Okay, yep, you can find me on my other podcast, 24 Framescast. That's 24framescast.blogspot.com. You can find me on Twitter at 24framescast. And of course, email me, 24framescast at gmail.com. Um, we would ask if you do like the show, if you could drop by iTunes and leave a review or give us a rating. It certainly helps us attract more users. And it kind of, I suppose, from an ego point of view, the more um subscribers we have and the more feedback we get it kind of inspires us to uh record more episodes but uh many thanks for listening and we will be in contact soon with another episode bye my name's tom jennings and this is the masters of cinema cast and I think I've done that wrong again, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Uh, okay, let's go again, really. Uh, my name's Tom Jennings. And this your bit now. <laughs> uh, what, what we do? Is, I say... How do we do it? Well, I say... Uh, um, this I say, is the Master of Cinema Cast. Cinema cast. Uh, I'm Tom Jennings. And, uh, I think uh, that's uh, the way you usually say it. Yeah, I say, my name's Tom Jennings. This is the Master of Cinema Cast. And no, then, yeah. other way around. What, what, what? This is the master <laughs> cinema cast, yeah. My name's Tom Jennings. Yeah. That's it, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, sorry, dude. Okay. okay. Now you've made me laugh, Leo Kim. <laughs> <laughs> you've put me off already. Hang on a second. Let me just compose myself. <laughs>